Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, For more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. This is Wednesday, it's Recovery Wednesday, June the 8th, 2016. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. And if Gail or Dr. Andraki or Terry or any of the ones that usually talk to us during Recovery Wednesday are on the switchboard, if you would press 1, that will bring you to the top and I can turn you on. Welcome, Michael. Okay, I guess I'll talk for a few minutes. Um, So our program, if you go to our website, which is www.whyagain.org, that's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G, you can tap into the forgiveness process, which is the core of our work, the foundation of it all, and forgiveness is not letting another person off the hook for what they brought up in you, but it's going inside and, and removing whatever it is that came up, whether it was anger, grief, fear, pain, and removing that so you can get back to being who you are. Back to that's the ultimate recovery. You know, we started the Recovery Wednesday based on the uh, 12 steps and some people that were wanting to know how to get out of their addictions. And and so oftentimes that's where the conversation goes, and then other times it goes into getting out of the addiction of your anger or being a victim or busyness, or junk food. We've talked about sugar being an addiction. And so there are a lot of things, and and so recovery from that, to get back to being who you were designed to be, is what this show is about. And I'm not sure that Michael's with us yet, so I'm going to go ahead and say welcome, Dr. Tim. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing beautifully, thank you. We had a Another support group last night up in Woodstock, Illinois. We had 10 people plus me, and we watched uh, a guy Finley talk about being willing to sit with what comes up whenever life doesn't go the way you expect it, rather than filling it in with defensiveness or blame or any negative emotions. And uh, then we had some discussion, and we had someone do a very powerful worksheet about a life pattern that played right into a discussion about the power person dynamic. And it was um, it was a powerful worksheet. I'm, I, I think it was actually even more instructive for people around the group than it was the actual person who did the worksheet process. And that sometimes happens; it triggers so much and. Sometimes other people in the group can see the issues more clearly because they're not in the middle of it. And um, the power person dynamic is that when I'm, uh, I have a time in my life where somebody has more power over me than I do, and they are not acting from a space of love, then I can develop this dynamic. And so then years later, I'm fully out of their influence and I'm on my own living independently, but I'm still going to be driven by that dynamic which says when I have a low-stress time in my life, 
I will be able to act the way I did when everything was going well with my power person and we were getting along just fine. But if my stress level goes up to a medium level, I'm going to drop into the behavior that I used to do when my power person did what I hated the most, to defend and resist and survive against whatever my power person did that I hated the most. And then if my stress level goes up to a high level, I kick into doing exactly what my power person did that I hated the most, and I will have every rationalization in the book and imaginable to do it and to justify my doing the very thing that when my power person did it, I absolutely hated it. Well, this woman did a worksheet, and she uncovered when she canceled her goal and asked to be shown what was going on in her that was creating her pain, she saw a dynamic from when she was 10 years old where her mother was doing the very thing she's doing today. And she hated it when her mother did it then, and she doesn't like it that she's doing it now, but she keeps doing it. So it was a powerful process. Again, my thanks to all the people who show up and attend these groups. They're, without exception, uh, some of the most loving, intelligent, uh, willing people I've ever met. Everybody's focused on doing their own work and at the same time focused on holding the space of love for everybody else in the room. And it just it makes possible a process that would be a thousand times harder if I was trying to do it alone. So that's my offering for today. Wonderful group last night, loving people, powerful worksheet. Just very, very glad to be in, in this process. And you, know, you said uh, that a lot of times the other people get more out of it or, or get it quicker than the person that's actually doing the worksheet. That is so true because it's always easier to see the issue in someone else than it is to see it in ourselves. However, if we can get it and see how the other person works through it, then even if it's on an unconscious level, we'll get it and work through our own issues around it too. That's an awesome example. Welcome, Michael. Definitely. Well, thank you, dear heart. Welcome, everybody. Thank you, Dr. Tim, for that group last night and sharing the uh, the input. You know, one of the things that I think really opens a space for everybody is just hearing, seeing what what people are able to do with it. Having the example of, you mean this is really possible? <laughs> it's it's pretty powerful. I have a little story I'd like to share and. Uh, uh, perhaps you've heard it before, perhaps you haven't, but it ties in with, of course, the work, and it ties in with the whole reason why people lose their sobriety, whether they re- lose their sobriety to alcohol or drugs or food or rage or sex or whatever it is. The uh, the reason they do it, uh, according to this story, is because of the sack of potatoes that they carry around. So I'd like to share this little story with you. A kindergarten teacher decided to have her class play a game. The teacher asked the class if there was anyone who made them angry. A local grocery store supplied a bag of big old throwaway baking potatoes. Each child had an old potato in a plastic bag for each person they held anger toward, and each potato was given the name of the person involved. Some had two potatoes, some had three, and some had up to five. The children were to carry the potatoes in the plastic bag wherever they went for two weeks. As the days passed, the children started to complain due to the unpleasant smell of the rotting potatoes. Those having five potatoes, of course, were tired out by having to carry the heaviest bags. The children were relieved when the game ended. The teacher asked, How did you feel while you were carrying those potatoes with you? The children let out their frustrations and started complaining of the trouble they had to go through having to carry the heavy, smelly potatoes wherever they went. She explained, this is exactly what happens when you have anger inside your heart and point it at somebody. The smelly energy will contaminate your heart, in fact, contaminate your whole body as you carry it with you wherever you go. If you cannot tolerate the smell of rotten potatoes for just two weeks, can you imagine what it's like to have the energy of anger in your heart for a lifetime? 
This is the number one cause of disease in the world, she explained. Moral of the story, removing anger from your heart is called forgiveness. And, you know, what drives people to drink? They say, ah, it's that person, you know, Harry, he drives me to drink. Mary, she drives. No. Uh, I love the idea from Course in Miracles. It says, it is not the world that makes peace impossible. It is the world you see. And remembering that the world we see and we feel the effects of, first and foremost, is that world constructed between our ears out of the content of our plastic bag. Sadly, with the way the culture is being plasticized and, uh, and uh, filled with all kinds of chemicals, it's, it's becoming more and more plastic. Uh, this, this sack that we carry around that we call the body, which is really an energy system that is not designed to carry the rotten, the smelly, the decaying. And so each time one wants to anesthetize pain, if they'll stop and think about, is there a potato I need to get rid of and go to work on freeing themselves of that? And, you know, just just getting the idea across that there's a work to be done. And I, I certainly appreciated Gail when we started this whole series out uh, the first few days that uh, she shared with us so powerfully the the key process or the key steps in the whole 12-step approach and the fact of the need for the continued work. And it is a, a continuing process. Many people, you know, want to be finished with it yesterday, but uh, but you don't get finished with it yesterday. When you realize that you have in your sack of potatoes all the resentments, all the fears, all the rages, all the guilt, all the griefs, all the pains of your whole generational bloodline, of course you have the blessings and the beauties and the joys, and you can remove what doesn't belong and enjoy what is there if you have the tools with which to do it. And that's what we're here to support, and that's what we're here to do. And so, uh, Jeannie, is Gail with us today? She is, and she's on. Well, then let's say hello to the young lady. How are you? I heard you finished your I, 66 days of, uh, of Laws of Living homework. I did. Congratulations. Thank you. That's thank, awesome. Thank you. So you finished your work now? You're complete? Done? I, I, Over with? I have... Um, I finished uh, all the – actually, I did 74 days because um, I didn't count very well. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> and um, hey, If you're going to err, err on the side of getting more work done. Absolutely, and it's not going to hurt me any. And um, I still have some grievance projection worksheets to fill out because those are my least favorite ones to do. And I still have some um, – Mind, uh, not mind goal management. Um, I still have some uh, wake-up sheets to do as well, and then I will uh, be sending those to Theodosa. I'll go through it, cool. make sure it's all organized. And I figured you well, didn't want to carry that package across the country. Yeah, make sure that you communicate with me before you send it, because it may have you send it here, and then we'll get it back to you before we leave if there's time, depending what oh, okay. uh, how how the days unfold. We have uh, okay. we have lots on our plate. Next Wednesday, Jeannie flies to uh, Bristol, Tennessee, to uh, to get with family and do the family reunion. Then I'll fly up there for a week to, for the actual reunion, the July Fourth weekend, and then we'll be back here and heading to Heartland. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, well, I like to. So, do you have anything on great. your mind to share with us today? Absolutely. Um, one of the um, – I, I love that story. That was a great story. And um, two places that I went to with that story was um, I went to a codependency outpatient treatment thing um, uh, back in the 90s. My, my children were under one year old, and I went to this. And I think it was six weeks that we met twice a week for two hours, and then we did a weekend. And we just stayed up the whole weekend and did all these activities and had the batakas and beat, beat things and um, did a lot of role-playing in this codependency. And one of the activities that we did was 
the counselors would put a backpack on our backs and then put rocks in the backpack and then would ask us periodically if it was too heavy for us and when did we want to let it go. And um, she ended up filling up the, um, the backpack with rocks for me and then she was hanging on it. She's a really small person. <laughs> And I didn't want to take it off. And she was saying that that was guilt, shame, and remorse. That was the shame and the guilt that we felt um, that we are carrying around. And so I thought that that was very apropos to learn that I wasn't willing to let go of that because I had a lot of that. Um, so that was one direction that I wanted to go um, with the potatoes or carrying things around that are stinky and are weighing you down. Um, the other process that we do in the in the twelve step um, modality is the inventory and and we look at our potatoes and I have a lot more than five or I have had a lot more than five potatoes but um, that's a great analogy and what we do in the inventory process which is the um, our step four which is we um, made a fearless and moral inventory of ourselves is that we look at our resentment and our fear, our sex conduct, and our harms done to others, and uh, the resentments um, that we would do is that, you know, the reason why I thought that I drank was because of other people's behavior, and um, what it talks about in the literature, it talks about we had to get down to causes and conditions, and um, so... And another analogy is I take the poison and I want you to die. And um, now that I understand that we live in, with the um, chemistry of our own thinking, I go on to explain to people that I work with that, hey, your resentment is actually killing you because you have a thought, then you have your feeling or emotion, and then you're living with the chemistry in your own body. And so... Um, Going through and being able to turn that back around, especially in the resentment part of it, um, being able to list that person, um, being able to get out of your head what they did, and then also looking at what they affected in you. Did they affect your self-esteem, um, pride, emotional security, pocketbook ambition, personal relations, and sex relations. And then we go back and ask ourselves the question of where were we dishonest frightened, um, inconsiderate, self-seeking or self-searching. I think that's correct. Selfish or self-seeking. And then when we can answer those questions, then we could drill down into the part that we played in the different situations um, in every area of our life. And the common dynamic for me was that I had a lot of fear. And because I had a lot of fear, I couldn't tap into my true essence and be my true self. And so I wore a lot of masks in a lot of different situations. And then I was angry when people didn't like me. <laughs> so that, that would be on my take on, on the story that, that you presented. And I think that that is a perfect analogy. So in essence, what you're saying is you found that any any potato would do. Yes, any potato would do. Any... 40, 47 <laughs> times with 80 some odd people. <laughs> was that right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or is that, that the other way around? The game. <laughs> yeah. So recognizing that, you know, if it's in me, I can take it out on anybody, anytime. I, I really enjoyed the story that um, Shelley shared with the other day, too, about the the guy who's out meditating in the rowboat, and all of a sudden, you know, he's deep in meditation. Somebody bumps into him, and somebody bumps into him, and he's committed to finishing his meditation. Somebody bumps into him. He's just finishing his meditation in rage, and boy, is he going to blast them when he comes out of his meditation, and he opens his eyes ready for a blast, and the boat that's bumping him is empty. <laughs> it's, like, it's like any object of attention will do. And uh, we true. try to put substance, we push, try to put substance behind it that it's about somebody else. But uh, recovery really means that if it's happening inside of us, what it's doing is it's covering up who we are and the truth of the being that we are. And many of those potatoes we acquire early in childhood 
ideas from from the people around us, from Howard person, as Dr. Tim shared a few minutes ago with that lady, and you know something she took on at ten and uh, still running her life. And you know it's just, it's when you really start to look at it from a distance, when you can become the thinker apart from the thought, the feeler apart from the feelings, and the actor apart from the actions, the whole game begins to change. And uh, it's pretty exciting to watch people who've suffered over many things that never happened and or suffered over many things that did happen where they weren't required to suffer, but imposed it on themselves. Recovery is really powerful. It is true. It is true. Okay. I wanted to share two other things with you real quick, um, if you don't mind. Please do. Um, last, yes. last Tuesday, um, I was coming driving home from um, Minnesota, and um, as Tim said last week on the show, I think last Thursday when he got on, that I dropped by. Um, to participate in his group. Um, But before I found him, um, uh, I had to get the address from somebody else that participates in in the group, but she wasn't going to be there. And um, I ended up driving through a little town close to Woodstock, and I know a person that I went to high school that, that lives in this little town, and I owe this particular individual amends. And so I say to myself, if I pass by his bowling alley, because him and his wife just purchased the bowling alley, um, I'm going to go in there and make amends. And what did I do? I was driving right past his, his bowling alley. And I'm like, well, I seriously doubt there's two bowling alleys <laughs> in this little town. And so I stopped, and I went into the parking lot, and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm here. I haven't seen this person in 32 years. And I owe him amends. Um, and basically what wow. the amend was about was um, he asked me out. And um, I didn't know who he was. I thought he was cute. He just passed me a note in the hallway. And um, so I went to my next class, and I asked some people about him. And they said, no, he's not a good guy. He does this. He does that. And I didn't even give him a chance. And I listened to gossip and criticism and took somebody else's information and made a decision, and um, and didn't go out with him. And so I found him on Facebook um, probably about a year ago, and um, so I knew where he was, and I was carrying around this guilt, shame, and remorse, and um, I'm in the parking lot, and I call my sponsor, and I get a little bit of direction on, on what to do, if I should do this, and um, get some words. And um, she gave me some words and some suggestions, and I went in there, and he was right there at the cash register, and I asked him if he had five minutes. He he knew me right off the bat. And um, so we sat down, and I basically said, um, I'm in a 12-step group. I'm in recovery, and um, I think we have a step. Um, called the amends step if we've harmed people and I think I've harmed you and I have regret for that harm and what do I need to do to make that right and what what is funny about this is he doesn't even remember it so <laughs> um, I hear you that, that, <laughs> he didn't even remember it he, he didn't even know where he knew me from and and so I was like, okay. And what I was advised or what I know from the suggestion that was given to me was don't bring up what you did if he doesn't know what you did because that would create more harm. And so I said, well, okay, I'm glad that you don't remember it. And um, I've been carrying this guilt, shame, and remorse around because I thought that I harmed you. And now that I know, you know, that I didn't, um, it, um, okay, I'm good. And so I'm like, I could cross you off my list. And he's like, high school was a, another, that was 32 years ago. That was another day in time. It was high school. And there's no need to apologize. This is a nice gesture. And thank you. And so it went really well. And there was one less potato <laughs> in my backpack. So Interesting. So that, that, was, that was awesome. Um, and then Dr. Tim's group was amazing. Before you, I, before you, uh, 
before you move on from that story, I just have a little bit of input. I would, I would question, okay. and of course it would depend, I think, on the kind of situation that occurred. But, you know, I would think that because he doesn't remember, it doesn't mean that he didn't have something in him that moved that has impacted his life negatively. Not that you did it to him. You did what you did, and that's yours. But, you know, if he had a, a, a problem with his own understanding and beliefs about himself, he may have moved some damage. And I, and I just question the wisdom of, well, if they don't remember, don't bring it up, because who knows what would have opened for him if he had been able to say, well, here's my recollection of it, and, you know, here's what I want to own. And if it did, if you now that you know what it is, if you recall after 30 years what that was, uh, you may have just opened the space for him to do a big piece of work and, and be supported in it. So I just invite you, I, and I'm, I'm open to feedback on it. I understand the 12-step has a, an approach that comes from a lot of years of experience with a lot of people, but, uh, but that would kind of be my thought. I would think it could open a very powerful space, you know, as long as it wasn't something that would really truly do more damage, but that you could be the space if that brought up self-deprecation him or reinforced self-deprecation to, uh, to open the space for that healing. So that would be my thought. I don't know, maybe Dr. Tim would have a thought on it, whether he'd see a reason to, uh, to not bring it up or, or to, to, uh, to bring it to attention. Tim, do you have any thoughts? Well, at, at, at this point I, have, I feel the need to clarify, but go, go ahead, Tim, and I'll, I'll clarify after Tim's done. Uh, well, my my input would be that I would need to ask questions to clarify what was the reasoning behind your sponsor's statement and what, what's going on for you. I wouldn't weigh in until I had a chance to cl- question that. So go ahead and Absolutely, understood. Um, my, clar- my clarification would be in, instead of going in and saying, hey, when you asked me out in 1983 – um I went um I went straight to my next class and asked people about you and that's why I turned you down. So I needed to keep that out of that. Um um because that would have caused more harm. That would have brought he then would ask, Well, well, who did you ask about me? Or what did they say about me? And so that would cause more harm. Um, the ninth step is that we made to other we made events to other people except when to do so would injure them or others. And so, um, and I know that I didn't quote that correctly either, but um, the caveat in there is that except when to do so would injure them or others. And so, giving him that. more information um, would have injured him or others. But what I did say to him, and I and I left this part out, um, uh, is that. He did ask what I did, and I said, well, you had asked me out, and because of my own fear and insecurities, I said no. And so I wanted to make sure that, you know, if that created harm in you, that I was, you know, given the opportunity to make it right. So does that clarify it a little bit? Yes, very well. Okay, okay. And, and apologies for lack of clarity. No, you were pretty clear. It's just more information. Understood. Any thoughts for you, Tim, before we uh, hear what her other, the other point was she was going to make? Well, I suppose my thought is that um, if there's an understanding at deeper levels, of how I'm really the one creating pain in me. If there's a fundamental understanding of the nature of this work or Guy Finley's Wisdom School or Krishnamurti's work that says, I'm really the author of my own pain, then I don't need to be so um artificially careful about causing somebody else pain 
all I need to do is be genuinely coming from a space of love, good intentions, and be honest. And most of the time when I've been exposed to people in 12-step work, they're just getting introduced to concepts like this, and they don't really understand that they're, everybody's causing their own pain and that no one can cause me to feel anger, fear, or sadness from the outside. So that would be a, you know, that would be a source of conflict because I would be functioning from an observation that says I can say whatever I feel I need to say to somebody and if they take offense to it, I can lovingly support them in dismantling their offense or they can hold on to their offense as long as they want. And somebody else is coming from a perspective that says no, if I tell people they have to go make amends and if they haven't done enough internal spiritual work, they could use that as a weapon to go out like a bull in a china shop and start digging up old incidents and old traumatic memories for people without any concern for the impact on others. So I can see both sides of it. I agree with that. Good input. Thank you, sir. I agree with that as well, and that's why um, I think Ron had called into the show a couple weeks ago and had mentioned we were talking about amends, and he said that's why it's so important to do it with a sponsor. Um, very similar to what Michael was talking about yesterday about um, you were talking about the scriptures and, and the disciples going out two by two, or the apostles going out two by two is so those two people could keep each other in check while they're um, talking to others. And um, that's exactly what we do in, when we're doing a 12-step call, is to make sure that you take somebody else with you on a 12-step call. And that's usually when somebody else is drinking or still using the chemical and, and we're talking to them to get identification going and then to present a solution to see if they want to get sober and start to abstain from the chemicals. And so it's best to take two or more people on a 12-step call. That's really similar to, you know, in going to make an amend, that is why I pulled into the parking lot and and called my sponsor um, to get some direction to make sure that it wasn't ego-driven, that it was truly out of a place of love and concern and and wanting to make um, a wrong right. So cool. I get that because I've, I've said I'm sorry, you know, many, many times, and the basis under the sorry and the apology was manipulation instead of amends. I hear you. Cool. Well, nice piece of work. Thank you, sir. Yeah, that's cool. And so you're going to share about uh, visiting uh, Tim's group. Absolutely. Um, I've been wanting to do a um, a road trip and, and go up, head up there, and I had an excuse on the way back to stop in. It was perfect timing, and um, I, I really enjoyed it. I want to do a Mind Shifters group of my own, and so I most definitely wanted to see what Tim was doing, and he I think he's the closest one around me um, to visit, and um it was it was very powerful. I enjoyed the venue. I enjoyed the people, and it was very neat to be around people that were veteran wake up sheet doers. And we were just going through it. And um, I did a wake up sheet that was very similar to the person that was doing one, and um, same kind of situation. And um, what came up for me was was the power person dynamic, and it was pretty cool. And the group after the group was very nice as well. And so it was nice to meet everybody. It was nice to meet Dr. Tim face-to-face. And it was good to see other people again. And, um, yeah, the group after the group was was fantastic. That chocolate shop that is on the square, um, I had a blueberry lavender latte. And and that was amazing. It was great. So um, I drove home after that, and I ended up, where my daughter's staying, which is a, basically a halfway point, and I ended up at her front doorstep at 3 o'clock in the morning, and <laughs> and we stayed up from 3 until 5, acting like little kids, 
um, that were having a sleepover, and I got maybe three hours more sleep and ended up at home at 10 o'clock. So that that was a great experience, that whole five days, and um, capping it with uh, Dr. Tim's group was great. Awesome. Very cool. Sweet. Well, let's check with Jeannie and see if we've got anybody else with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room. Jeannie? Mute challenged. <laughs> no, the chat room's really <laughs> quiet, <laughs> and uh, nobody has their hand up. So if someone presses one, we've got 24 minutes. We can cover a big topic. And I've looked through the numbers, and I do not see Dr. Androcki or uh, Terry Bowling. So if either of those call are in on another number, oh, we just had a hand go up. Okay. Area code 808, you're on the air. Hi, thank you. Oh. Well, hey there, young lady. How are you? Hi. Oh, well, I'm fine. I'm really very fine. Uh, thank you very much. Um, but as I was listening to this conversation I, uh, regarding, you know, uh, 12 steps and addictions, uh, I've been challenged. I, I was reminded that I was, I've been challenged my whole life as far as food is concerned. And I don't tend to overeat because I couldn't have had the career I had if I was doing that. But um, um, long story short, the uh, oral incest that I experienced as a newborn really set set a a pattern. And uh, eating and... uh, Taking care of myself is difficult. I did, um, a couple of months ago, I did a shamanic journey uh, on, the, on that experience and uh, actually reconnected with uh, the exile, what they call exile, the baby that has really not been integrated into my system all these years until two months ago. So that was a profound experience of healing. Oh, and there was a moment after she and I merged where I was aware that she was looking at the world through my eyes for the first time in 70 decades uh, and was seeing the beauty of nature for the first time. It was a very wonderful experience but the reason I pressed one first reason is that there were no hands up and there was nobody in the chat room but the second reason is that I still have to deal with my conditioning which was caused by that event but I'm still like yesterday I was downtown looking for somewhere that could make me a green smoothie and found it not and I uh, ended up having a gluten-free brownie. <laughs> oh, God. And it had sugar in it. Now and that's I've quite been a off- difference. Yeah, a big difference. And that, the fact that it's such a big difference <clears throat> shows that I live on the edge. I'm, I, I live on the edge of taking care of myself in such a way that I can promote my healing or falling, falling. Um, there's a bottle of vodka underneath the counter. Uh, and there are times when I'm... You know, I think of myself as a Russian. You know, I watch all these movies, War and Peace, and I love these Russian movies. And uh, I, I think of myself as a Russian and take a shot, you know. But um, I haven't done that in three months. But, uh, um, yeah, there are moments when, when I don't take care of myself. And, and it's, it's challenging because, you know, the programming in, in the world, I mean, it seems normal that some people drink and, and people eat sugar. And, you know, Gail was just saying how wonderful her 
her drink was in the after uh, after being with uh, with Dr. Tim's group, and you know, uh, but I have to I have to grab myself like a kitten by the back of the neck and just pull myself up out of um, the normal ordinary world because um, what I've noticed is that as I age, I think young people have a <clears throat> young people's bodies have uh, like a it's like a cushion, and as we get older, um, that cushion gets used up, and then I feel the impact of the sugar or the alcohol immediately. And so I don't have uh, I don't have the luxury that I had when I was young. So um, well, certainly, certainly the um, the ability to handle an offending energy deteriorates but i first of all it doesn't have anything to do with age it has to do with the toxic load that the system holds from engaging in toxic energy so you know it it isn't it isn't about time it's about what what we're already carrying and you put another pack on it i'd invite you to maybe shift your your thinking about yourself living on the edge there and Mm -hmm. recognize that Having a brownie doesn't mean you're living on the edge. Having a brownie just means you had a brownie. Now, mm-hmm. if you went to the store and you stuffed yourself with ten of them, you really got a problem. But to have a brownie <laughs> or a, you know, a, a fancy drink that does have some sugar in it on occasion, I don't think is a big deal. My other thought would be, why don't you get rid of the bottle of vodka? That one will never serve you. And you and you could say to yourself, you know. I recognize there are times when I've reflected an allergy to alcohol or a tendency toward overuse. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to leave that one out of my life, period. It will never benefit you to put alcohol in your body. And so I'd invite you to consider why it sits under the counter and why you don't find somebody who likes vodka and uh, hand it to them or, you know, pour it down the sink, whatever you might want to do that. But but I'd be be careful about putting yourself. I would would pour it down the sink before I give it to somebody else because I know what a a toxic poison it is. And right now, especially since I've been doing this healing regime uh, of, of, uh, I, I damaged my liver and my uh, gallbladder and dislocated my stomach five and a half years ago. And no regular doctors could find it or figure it out, and I finally just accepted that I had damage to my intercostals between the ribs. But I saw I saw this, um, this uh, Chinese acupuncture medical man about three months ago, and in the very first session, he went right to that damage, and he was he was touching the edge of my liver, and I, you know, I started jumping because I could feel the pain. So he went right to it. This morning, I was I've been on this regime with him, which is very very delicate. So that's why I, that's why I felt sad about about taking the brownie. Because yeah. so I want to do the best job the, I can. Uh, yeah. Notice the denial there. Yes. Yeah. You about catch the, the brownie. Denial. Yeah, about, you're not about, sad about the brownie. You're sad because there's sadness in there that you like to keep yeah. and you don't want to let go of your identity, your your non-being self made up of it. So, gee, if I let this yeah. go, who would I be without it? And maybe you could yeah. just see who you'd be without it and just let it go. Yeah. So that well, might be a good I know that topic. the lung condition. I have a... I have a, a lung condition that's been there since 1980. It's called MAC, myco, MAC, mycobacterial avium complex. It's a bacteria called avium. And it's a sister to tuberculosis, but it's not infectious, thank God. But um, I've been aware that for years that it's grief and sadness that causes uh, problems with the lungs. So for a long, long yes. time, I was really intently focusing on that and 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 working on healing that. And <coughs> I was I was just in the last few days, I've been thinking, well, I'm not really focusing on my grief, and I appreciate the fact that the grief is coming up now, but the trigger was the brownie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
just a, that's just a trigger, and that's and it's good yeah. to, to recognize the difference between ah, I see that brought that that my behavior there brought sadness up for me, as opposed to I was sad about eating the brownie, because I can't. I, when I speak responsibly, I come out of denial, and coming out of denial is one of the most powerful things I could possibly do, because what I'm in denial over. I can't even see. I can't access. Doesn't matter how deeply I say, "Oh, I want to access this one." If I'm in denial about it, it's not mine to change. Right. I can ask God, "God, take this away from me." God can't take away what you're not willing to allow to surface and let go of. You know? Exactly. So, so, so it's just a, just the subtle stuff of what we do with language and moving through the layers. So that's but, awesome. You know, when you're healing a wound and it starts to itch. Yes. Like like sunburn or something. I was meditating this morning and I was feeling itchiness in my liver. So uh, I'm pleased that uh, <laughs> that it is healing. I know it's healing. Yeah. And I'd invite you to let go of laying claim to this bacterium in your lungs and recognize yeah. that bacterium cannot survive where they're not being fed. And if you yeah. allow a full flow yeah. of energy through your lungs. No bacterium can stay. Your body will automatically throw it off. It's actually, yeah. uh, we recently saw a, uh, let's see, what was the name of it? One of the uh, n- new films out about um, the X-Men, the X-Men film. And it was a pretty cool scene that, from one perspective, it looked kind of gross, but, but it was to, for me, to use it as a visualization. And, uh, you know, you know, all these different people have different powers. And this one guy gets shot, you know, I mean, bullets enter his body. And with the special effects, they actually show the wound. And then they show his body just pushing the bullet out and healing. It's like, (laughs) good visual. Take that energy that's like a bullet, whether it's a bacteria, virus, a thought, whatever it is, and visualize yourself being able to be empowered to <laughs> literally blow it off, to, to, to move it out of whether it's the lung, the liver, the, you know, whatever. It was, it, was a, it was a cool visual to just have that, see this, you know, I mean, pretty magical when you, if you didn't know about special effects, you go, wow, that's pretty cool. And yeah. um, so just, it was a good but, visual. I mean, the for, Aborigines uh, in Australia uh, can do that. Yeah. I mean, they, you could can. break a leg and then they can fix it right away, immediately. It's not. I mean, it's at not least the they could in the old days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not the Aboriginals, it's you and I. Oh, uh, yeah, well, we are Aboriginals. Yeah. When we get yeah. down to the yeah. truth of it, we're all Aboriginals. Yeah. I, uh, and we can all went do that. To my, yeah, uh, and I love the image. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. The uh, pranayama class yesterday, um, I, it, there's something really interesting about it is that when you – uh, you know, when you're doing pranayama, you're doing locks. You're doing a muladhara lock, and uh, along with the breathing, of course. Uh, muladhara and, and uh, uh, chin lock and tongue locks, and then there's another one, which is you suck up the uh, you suck the diaphragm up and in when the breath is out, and it puts the lungs far higher up in the chest cavity to where they were before the baby, before you as a baby was born. And in that state, the, the cells of the lungs remember the sense of well-being and protection and, and bliss that they were in, in the womb. And that can facilitate the, uh, the uh, healing the scar tissue in the lungs, too. Absolutely. Unless we, decide, mm-hmm. unless we decide we want to hang out with the offending energy and we can we can get rid of it and then we can bring it back again too if we choose to so just yeah, a matter yeah. of ending the habits and the identification with the traumatic aspect and that's just the non-being mind to allow being to come in and and bring that safety and that support and that nurturing energy and to allow that to stay rather than allowing carbon-based memory to come up with another story, another way. You know, right. one of the steps on the new seven-step worksheet is I'm, I'm going to cancel my need to make up another story out of this and tell the story again. It's like it's time to, to, to get finished with the stories mm-hmm. about the offending energy because every time we go there, we just put more offense in and 
It'll make it easier to stay hanging out there. Time to shift out of that and move on to aliveness and being. Mm-hmm. One of the most, cool. I think probably the main thing that I learned for the two and a half years I was in India was how to manage my mind. And um, the first time I called into the radio program, I had been, um, uh, I was experiencing an upset after having uh, taken care of um, a 15 year old. Um, I keep forgetting the name of the thing. Shared that. Yeah, um, and I did the worksheet yeah. and I felt cleared. But then I noticed that when when I thought about it some time later, the, the same identical upset came up. And that that's because, and I, I realized that it was because I went there again with my mind. And we can choose where to go with our minds. We don't. We we're not. We don't. We're not driven by our minds. We drive our minds. And That's the idea. Yeah, exactly. Where That's we go the with whole our idea mind to work. is going yeah. to determine um, aspects of the experience that we're having. So and also, mm-hmm. also, it can be a reflection of the fact that there are deeper layers to right. that particular process. Yes, you know, when they said yes. to Yeshua. How many uh-huh. times do we need to forgive? Is seven times enough? Seven times, yeah. In Aramaic, yeah. Yeshua's re- re- answer was 77 times seven. Right. So sometimes right. it can be the old habit, time to let go of the old habit, but it can also mm-hmm. be that there's another layer of that to surface, and if there is, soften, open, breathe, and let it go and move forward yeah. in love. That's yeah. the, Thank you. The whole Thank thing. you very cool. much. And uh, right, the pranayama teacher, one more thing I want to say. The pranayama teacher was using the word, so soft. He was trying to tell us to relax the body, and he was saying, so soft. And I love that because, and you use the word soften on the worksheets as well, but to say so soft to your body, uh, oh, that's it. Let it open. Soften. That's it. Yeah. Hey. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, you have a blessed day in Hawaii. Oh, we will. Always do. All right. Okay. Take care. Bless you. Bye bye. Aloha. So, Jeannie, anybody else with a hand up? Anything happening in the chat room? No, chat room's quiet, and there's no other hand up. Okay. We've got seven minutes. So if somebody presses well, one, I've, you're on. I've got a question texted by Dr. Phil. And uh, with the conversation that we had yesterday, uh, he was asking about this law, how the law of resonance, what that would do what happens when you enter the forgiveness process, when you collapse goal, what happens in carbon-based memory? And what does that trigger in you, and how does it work when you're living as active, present love? So I think it's a good question to, to get into understanding the, the dynamic of this whole resonant system that we have. And, you know, if I take... A, uh, a toxic energy in, and remembering the word sin in Aramaic is an archery term that means off the mark. So if I take an energy in that's off the mark and I put it in particular tissue, that energy, by definition, energy is motion. And so if it stopped moving, it wouldn't be energy anymore. So once it's in there, it's in motion and setting up subtle frequencies within the whole structure. And, you know, we had had the benefit uh, years ago of uh, keynoting at a conference called Global Science, and uh, a fellow named Marcel Vogel showed up with a thing called a Delaware camera that could take a picture of the high-energy waves that leave the mind when we think a thought. So not only is that wave measurable as it leaves our structure, our energy field, but it impacts every cell within the structure as it moves within us. So when you have something that's off the mark, somebody in the world responds to that resonant field that you're sending out, that creative wave, that high energy wave that leaves the mind when we hold that thought or that energy. When somebody shows up and does a behavior, their energy fields attuned to, drawn to us by what we're holding resonate in us 
that which, if we're in denial of it, we make pictures of it. We literally turn that energy enough. We have a, a digital to analog converter. We turn that energy into a picture of them. When I say you made me mad, if mad is moving in me and I say you made me, I'm in denial of the fact that there's mad energy in me and I dissociate from that. Now I create a picture of you and my mad is attached to you, and I think you're the cause of what's resonating in my cells, which is absolutely ludicrous, of course. But that's the way most of the world believes it works. So when I look at the fact that I'm holding that you made me mad, I have to go to the next step of recognizing, if I want to clean it up, of recognizing that the reason I think you made me mad, the reason I'm able to somehow in my mind logically project that into my brain's image of you is I have a goal for you that you didn't achieve for me. You know, I wanted you to do whatever it is, thus and so. And that goal is what recruited for within my cells that energy of mad that I used to build a picture, that I used to construct you know, perception is a construct in the mind. We're not looking out through our eyes at what's actually out there. We're looking at paintings on the inside of our eyeballs painted by the energy that moves in us. So the core of the forgiveness process in this genius mind, Yeshua, 2,000 years ago, that understood this well enough to teach it to us, the Greeks disappeared it, but fortunately we've been able to recover it. The core of the forgiveness process is that I cancel that goal for you to do whatever it was that you refused to do for me. And when I do that, I've removed the condition that causes my mind to recruit or use these energies from my cells to build this picture of you and increase the presence of the dis-ease energy or the resonance of the sin, the energy that's off the mark within me. When I collapse that by letting go of the goal, and you can kind of visualize with me that, that this whole structure in my mind collapses in on itself. When it collapses in on itself, I now have access to that energy hidden within my own cell. In the presence of active love, and that's why in step four of the worksheet, you go into bringing forward conscious active present love. And, and it's a practice. And as you practice bringing forward conscious, active, present love, that which is unlike love dissolves in front of it more and more quickly as you become more proficient at uh, holding to that space. So when I cancel the goal, this thing collapses. I have access to what, I, what otherwise I've dissociated from. I break love conscious active and present. And, you know, in almost 50 years of doing this work, there was a point maybe 20 years ago, I look back over the previous years and, you know, what, what happened when I saw healing occur, you know, whatever it was that is impossible to occur in normal circumstances, that relationship that was unresolvable, that all of a sudden became wonderful again, that financial situation, that horrible disease that just disappeared. And what became clear to me was every time that I saw someone where love was conscious, active, and present, and they were able to access something they had dissociated from, that which they dissociated from in the presence of love dissolved. It cannot stay in an integrated state if it's not based in love. You can hold it apart in you, and by holding it apart, it can appear to have substance. But in the presence of active love, it has no substance. It just dissolves. The trick is accessing it, and it's the canceling of the goal that empowers you to do that. Once done and that energy is transmuted or dissolved, then that resonance is no longer present within the cell. I'm no longer sending that message out to the world to keep me in this state of function, and I'm able to start sending out a different message. So we're here to support you recovering the true message of who you are, the truth of being, hold the newborn, you know exactly what it is, bring it into your cellular structure, and live in it for eternity. It's what you're designed for. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's a blessing to give the world. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the Internal Aramaic Process of Forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael, myself, or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.